First John. John's first epistle. And we're going to look at chapter 2 now, chapter 2, verses 15 down to verse 23. Chapter 2, verses 15 down to verse 23. The text we're going to be looking at this morning is not an easy text or topic to look at or to even wrap our minds around. So, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, we will certainly need the Holy Spirit to hear the clear warning that the Bible has for us here, that we would listen to the warning that is really intended for the entire church with the title of to forsake the church, to forsake the church. Now, as before we read this section of God's holy word, it's important that we point out that no one one day wakes up and thinks, I'm going to leave and turn away from the church of Jesus Christ. Now, by turn away from the church, I don't mean this particular church here in Rathry Island, nor do I mean the Reformed Presbyterian denomination. Some may come to the session and say, brother, I have a different conviction and I feel like I need to go to another faithful church that believes as I believe. This is not what this text is about. Uh, There are many faithful churches of Jesus Christ, the part of the visible body, who are not in the Reformed Presbyterian denomination or are not covenanters. However, what this is speaking about is those who will turn away from the church, from being outward members of the visible church, whether it be this church or another faithful church, no longer a member of the outward expression of that church. And this text is really talking about those who would go in a wrong direction. Boys and girls, I just want to talk to you for a moment about when I was young, when I was a small boy, and my, my parents had a sweet shop, do you know that? They had a sweet shop. We were were one of the few shops in the area, the first shop for a couple of miles away. And there would be all these other boys and girls who would be outside the shop, playing, having fun. And and it looked, I always thought, I would love to go play with them. But my parents didn't want me to spend time with them. They weren't terrible children, but their parents weren't around. And I didn't understand at the time why my parents kept me away from them. And I learned years later that many of them got into bad habits. And some of them got into really bad trouble. Not all of them, but some of them. My parents loved me enough to steer me in the direction of what was the right way to go. Now, my parents were not Christians. But at the same time, they could see who a bad example was. No, my parents wanted me to help out in in our our shop. They wanted me to work. 
And I thank God for that. Boys and girls, do your parents do that for you? Maybe they keep you away from some boys and girls who maybe are not the best influence. Well, boys and girls, thank God if they do. Your parents love you and care for you. Now, why do I say that? There are bad examples in this text going in the wrong direction. And the Spirit of God, who has written this, loves you enough to warn you about this direction of forsaking the church, of going away from the church. We thank God for good examples in our lives, but we must also see what bad examples are and that we do not ourselves go in that direction. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 23. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. You know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. I remember almost 14 years ago, back in 2009, when I came to know Christ for the first time. And I was overcome with the sense of there were people walking around with no idea they were on their way to hell. The idea horrified me. The people were not told the gospel. And my, my thinking was very simple at the time. Surely people, when they hear this, this is amazing. Christ has paid it all. He has done all that we need. And we look to him and we are saved. Why wouldn't everyone want to come to know him? Or so I thought. But what I realized, the more I shared the gospel, I'm not trying to discourage anybody from sharing the gospel, 
was that people didn't want Christ, did they? They wanted the world. They wanted their sin. Even people who were religious and claimed to love God. They wanted other things. But what what shocked me even more as I grew in my Christian faith is I noticed people who one time in their life said that they were Christian. Within the visible church, within the visible expression of the church, as members said, I've trusted in Jesus Christ. I've forsaken my sin and I've trusted in Jesus and in him alone. But to then go on to turn from the church and also from Christ. And the question that went through my mind in those early years, why? How? How is this possible? In a church where the gospel is preached, And as I studied my Bible, I realized more and more, just because you were a member of the outward expression of the church, where the gospel is preached, and you hear it week in and week out, does not mean you are a Christian. Not always. And this is why the gospel must be preached. Week in and week out. Because even in the visible expression of the church, there are those who do not know God. Dear friends, my heart here this morning as we look at this very challenging text, very heavy text, is I do not want any single person, whether a boy or a girl or anyone older than that, to go to hell. That everyone here in this building would know and love the sound of the shepherd's voice and would enjoy sweet communion with him forever and ever. That is my heart here this morning. So as we look at this very difficult, challenging topic, that we would, yes, realize the seriousness of turning away from the church, but also of turning away from Christ himself. So number one, our first point that we're going to look at here this morning is appetite. Appetite. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What is your appetite like? What do you love? What do you hunger for? What is the thing that you look for? Or your spiritual appetite. Your spiritual appetite. Now, some of us as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, will have a natural hunger, a spiritual hunger, that is probably better than some other people. Some of us have more fruit than others. But at the same time, there will be a love of God. There will be a difference from the world. And the thing is, the text here is very clear. John is saying, if you love the world, you are lost. Now, what does it mean by world? It doesn't mean to love creation. It doesn't mean to be in awe on a summer's day and think, wow, God made all this. This is not the world spoken about here. It's speaking about this fallen world. This fallen world system. Its own rules and its own ethics. Its own beliefs and opposition to God. Ever since Adam fell... This world 
has been fallen. And there are people who love it as it is. They don't want it to change. Actually, if you described a world without sin to them, it would sound like hell. It would sound boring to them. So if we love this fallen world, this system opposed to the love of God, John warns us in verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It is the rejection. This lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is the rejection of the love of of God. It is a desire for what we see, the lust of the eyes. The lust of sensual things. The pride of life, the, the arrogance. You know, people will say in sports, I am the greatest. And all these kind of boasts. But it is this lust that the world is defined by. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Do you see what we're to look to, dear friends? Not that the things that we see with our own physical eyes, but to see what is not seen with the eye of faith. Things that are eternal, eternal things that even It even hints towards this here in verse 17. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, this world, this world system will one day be gone. This life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the preacher said this. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. A puff of smoke is this life. This world is a puff of smoke. And the lusts of it as well. And if we love the lusts of this fallen world, these things which will lure us away from God, if you think back to the Garden of Eden, how was Eve enticed? She looked at the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and she saw that it was good to make one wise. The lust of the eyes. And it's basically, in this world, and the very popular message is, do what you want. What do you want to do? In the world, there's no self-denial. One of the things um, people remark about our last queen, Queen Elizabeth, was her sense of duty and self-denial. She didn't go around doing whatever she wanted to do. She did it out of service, and people respected her for that. Today, that idea is not very popular. Uh, uh, No self-denial in the lust of the flesh. And it's not just sexual sins, and it certainly includes that. But to love the world is to love your lust, or to do what you want. And, And that message might sound great, doesn't it? You'll actually see it in a lot of music. Do what you want to do. One of the most evil men of the the last hundred years said this. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. 
That man led a very satanic religion. But he led, he understood this one thing. Do what you want is all. Do what you want. You want to do that? You do this. That is the devil's message, essentially. If you want to do it, it's okay. And the, the, the thing here is, it is not to say no to yourself. You want to do it? Go do it. But if that is your life, if that drives you, if you love this, you are no Christian. The Christian's life is a life of self-denial, saying no to self. A Christian carries a cross. Have you ever thought about this? What did Jesus say to them? In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. Then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. But did you notice that? Take up his cross daily. Now we've lost today in the West the sense of the horror of the cross. We don't see people crucified outside of cities anymore. But the cross was one of the the most cruel, one of the most agonizing ways to die. What did it mean 2,000 years ago to carry a cross? If you were carrying a cross, you were on your way to death, execution, and the most agonizing death. But what does it mean for the Christian to carry your cross? What dies? Our desires, our wants, our flesh, our lusts, our own will, what we want, dies. It says this in Colossians 3 verse 5. Therefore put to death your members which are on earth. Fornication. Uncleanness. Passion. Evil desire. And covetousness. Which is idolatry. It's the language of war. It's the language of war. Putting to death that which would kill us. Picking up your cross is to put to death your desires. Picking up your cross is not just that you have maybe poor health and different things like this. Picking up your cross is saying no to yourself. To say no to yourself. That you do not come first. Romans 8, 13 and 14 says this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See the contrast. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. There are two groups of people. Those who put the flesh to death. Their deeds of the flesh. Saying no to self. But there are other people who by the Spirit live. There's two groups. Those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. You see this, friends. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, if anyone loves this, which is to be put to death, the love of the Father is not in him. 
It's really testing the appetite, isn't it? John is here coming into the section right after giving this amazing comfort to believers in verses 12 to 14, which we read uh, in the previous message. Because your sins are forgiven, you for his name's sake, verse 12. All these promises of God, because you have known the Father, but then warns them, do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in you. What is your appetite here this morning? Your appetite. Is it for the things of the world? Or is it for the things of God? And if it's for the things of God, you are actively, we all struggle, we're all sinners, actively putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And it's a daily struggle. You say, I struggle with this. Brother or sister, you struggle with it. You're at war with that. See the difference? It doesn't mean that you won't struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. The question is whether you will make peace with your sin or not. So number one, appetite. Number two, antichrist. Number two, antichrist. Now this may seem like a very strong word to use. But it is given us here in our text from God's word. Those who turn away from the church, who forsake the church, are really following their own lusts. And they love the world. We may give all these explanations of why so-and-so may leave the church, but it is for the reasons given, really, in verses 15 to 17. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The world is too attractive to the fallen heart to remain in the church. How do they remain in? They must be born again. And those who through their lusts have gone away from the church. It says here, little children. And John is speaking very tenderly here. Little children. It is the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. By which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Uh, These antichrists. Now why does it use this language? Why were they not of us? They're not of us in the sense of verses 12 to 14. We looked at in the last message on 1 John. They are not of us in the sense of these promises, verses 12 to 14, belong to those who, through unbelief, leave. Their sins are not forgiven. They do not know the Father, and they do not know the one who was from the beginning. They have not overcome the wicked one. The wicked one still has them. They prefer the world. And you could even say, in a a sense, they're looking to a different savior. Could be themselves. Could be money. But whatever it is, it, it is an idol. Now John here says that it is the last hour. And this last hour, there would be many antichrists would come. Many people would, in the bosom of the church, this is what an antichrist is, someone within the bosom of the church and departs away. 
But the last hour, they were in at that moment, or the end times. It said, Paul also says how they were in the last days, when he says this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse, verses 1 and 2, God at various times and in various ways spoken time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days. Peter saying, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. This is not talking about the last generation. This is talking about from the time of Christ to his return. And we know it is the last time because of this turning away from God. Now, they had seen false Christs in Jerusalem in recent times. This is talking about around the time of 70 AD, right before the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. And Jesus warns them in Matthew 24, verses 23 to 25. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ there, and do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. That includes them. But there's also the Antichrist. The Antichrist. The one specific Antichrist who would present himself within the temple of God. Declaring himself to be God. And he revealed himself in history. We've already seen this in history. In the 7th century, the Bishop of Rome took to himself the title of Universal Bishop. Or Universal Overseer. And as our confession of faith states that the man of sin, that son of perdition, that the Antichrist is none other than the Bishop of Rome or the Pope. There is the Antichrist who is coming. It was coming in that day, in the last days. Who went who out of the bosom of the church, rejecting Christ, opposing Christ. But this word, anti, is very interesting in Greek. It doesn't just mean to oppose. It also means to replace. In the place of. See. The Antichrist or an Antichrist will not just oppose Christ. He will put another authority in the place of Christ. Is this not a deadly serious thing? This is why John brings this up. The, the Antichrist, this has been spoken about right back to the book of Daniel and other places. Look how serious it is. And it mentions this other Antichrist. They realize this is serious. And if you take away nothing else, dear friends, it is a serious thing to be within the bosom of the church, to be learning of our doctrines, and then to flee away in unbelief. It is a serious, serious thing. Number three, anointed. Anointed. So we've looked at appetite, Antichrist, now anointed. Verses 19 and 20 says this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Verse 20. But you have an anointing. See, there's a difference. John is assuring them, this is not you. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who are really part of these promises. 
But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. The word Christ or Christos in Greek, it literally means anointed one. Anointed one. And anointed is the idea of pouring oil over something or someone. Actually, we call Jesus the Messiah. It's exactly the same as saying Jesus the Christ or Jesus the anointed one. And John is here saying, you have an anointing from the Holy One. Now what does this anointing mean? Anointing was given to kings in the Old Testament. Priests were given this anointed anointing. Prophets were given this anointing. Now the ultimate anointed one is Jesus Christ, who is prophet, priest, and king. But we are also anointed in a different sense in Christ. We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, believers in Jesus Christ, to know him. Look at what it says again in verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Your rebellion is over. Peace has been made with God through Jesus Christ. And you're no longer at war with God. If this is you, you have made peace with God. You're no longer as these others. If if you even think back to the word antichrist... Someone who is a false anointing. Who would oppose and aim to replace Christ with what? Their own rules. Friends, all of us need this anointing from on high. All of us. Every single one of us. And if the Spirit of God has been poured into us, Verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And the no lie is of the truth. John isn't writing because you don't know the truth. The church knows the truth. But at the same time, there may be those among us who do not. Without this anointing, we are blind to the truth. Without the spirit of truth. Notice how the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth in the Bible. We cannot know the truth. This is what it means about, and you know all things. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 to 22. He, now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God. Who has anointed us? God. Who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts. As a guarantee. What's the difference? What prevents me. Or you. From turning away. From Christ. From turning away. From his bride. To be nourished and cared for. Is it our staying power? Is it our willpower? Is it. I'm going to grit my teeth. I am the most committed person around. No dear friends. It's the Spirit of God. John even says this 
if they had been of us, they would have they would have continued with us. We all need the Spirit of God. We all need this anointing from the Spirit of God. And what does it look like? Think about this, dear friends. If you're a Christian, it is to say that the Spirit of God dwells in you. What does the Spirit of God do in your heart? Won't you be different? Won't you really stand out, shall we say, like a sore thumb in the world? Christ said of his Spirit, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. Christ said this, he will glorify me. If you glorify Christ with your life, that is a good indication that the Spirit of God dwells in you. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. We all need this anointing. Because without it, we are all, we are all like those who turn away from the church. They went out that it might be made manifest. Verse 19, that none of them were of us. You can't lose your salvation. If the Spirit of God has given you a new heart, He has you in His grip. But if you abandon the church and turn away from the church, you are showing not just to the church, but also to the world. You have never been born again. And you still love the world. Our final point this morning is is announced. Announced. John, John the Apostle ties this forsaking of the church to these verses, verses 22 to 23. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Leaving and forsaking the church... Often we can think about this in terms of entertainment. Well, the the, the young people are leaving because the church is old-fashioned. Brothers and sisters, if if by old-fashioned you mean biblical, I will happily be old-fashioned. The Bible is our authority in every practice that we do. It must be our authority in everything. But people do not leave the church because of lack of entertainment. The world will always be more entertaining. This is not a house of entertainment. This is a house of worship of God. And that should be satisfying enough for us. And if we turn away from this this universal church, and if I'm allowed, I use the word Catholic, and I don't mean Roman Catholic here. Small c Catholic. Uh, the word Catholic is often thought of Roman Catholicism. But by Catholic I mean all of the church. The, the Westminster Confession of Faith warned as well. It said the visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel. Not confined to one nation as before the law. 
consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion, together with their children, and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. No ordinary possibility of salvation. Now, this does not mean that the church saves. It does not mean that there won't be at times some believers outside of the visible church. We can think of the thief on the cross. He did not have the time, did he, to get baptized and all this kind of thing. But ordinarily, a person who's born again will be brought into membership of the visible church. It may not be this church. It may not be an ORP church, a Reformed Presbyterian church, but it will be a true church of Jesus Christ. Dear friends, membership does matter. And we must take our membership of the church seriously. It declares something to the world as well as to the people around us. In a day when membership of hardly anything is taken seriously. It shows our love for Christ, but it also shows our love and our our common bond one toward another. And dear friends, if you're not a member of a Bible-believing church, I'm not even, maybe you're, you're visiting this morning. Why would you not want to be a member under, under shepherds of Christ? Why would you not? It's, a dangerous thing to go, a direction to go. They went out from us that it might be made manifest. What is it manifesting to the world? If we are not willing to be committed to Christ and to his bride, to, to publicly declare our promises to follow God and to submit as well to the teaching of the elders. We won't get everything right, but to submit where it is biblical. We must do so, dear friends, in an, in an era where people, frankly, hate commitment. We must not follow the trend of the world. I think I was reading an article the other day where fewer and fewer people are even getting married in their 20s and their 30s. Fewer people are staying in jobs for a shorter time. Will we not commit to the Lord's institution? We may be involved in very many things, but the church is the most important thing we can be involved with if we are a believer in Jesus Christ. And I acknowledge this is a very hard topic. It is a topic that is, as I studied through this, it has brought up painful memories. People, I thought, came to Christ. And it's hard. And I will acknowledge it's hard for people here too. But it's a topic we must face. We we must acknowledge that there's many leaving the church. And it has to break our hearts. And it is painful. And it has to be painful. Because hell is real. And heaven is real as well. 
The reason people leave is because they love their sin too much. And they don't love God. And it's very hard to say that out loud. Why would we not love God? Why? God is wonderful. He's glorious. Splendid. And we will worship him from all eternity. And dear friends, if you have him, cling to him. Because he'll never let you go. Death may take you away from this world. But the Lord will never let you go. If you love God, heaven awaits. And you'll love his bride. Oh, you'll love her. You'll cherish her. You'll commit to her. It won't be perfect. But dear friends, heed the warning of this text. If you love the world, hell awaits. Amen.